Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. We began a series a few weeks ago. Anybody know the name of the series? Press on. You got it. This is a word that we're receiving as a word over our church globally. We believe that the Lord is, uh, is commissioning us. He's calling us to press on. Well, what's that about? Well, it's right out of this verse right here in Philippians chapter 3. I do have these notes in the Bible app if you'd like. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on. Everyone say press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. I forget the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Everybody say press on. I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord's hand on this time as we open his word together. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that, that you're a God who's still speaking. You're a God who's still living and active in our, in our lives and in our world today. And, Lord, we are going to be a people that press on to all that you have for us. These last two years have been uh, challenging. It's been trying, and there's been blessings in it. But, Lord, we are going to not live by what has happened in the past. We're going to press on to what you have for us in this new season, mighty God. And so we ask you to help us. Lord, give us strength to, to, to walk in all that you desire for us. I commit this word and this time to you, Lord. Move and minister according to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So wonderful, wonderful passage. I Just to quickly review for those who may be joining us or you've not been a part of this entire series, Paul here is dealing with some issues, uh, some church divisions. You know, you know, church splits didn't start in Kona. We didn't come up with that idea. Uh, Paul dealt with that kind of stuff. Paul was dealing with divisions and even different ways that people believe certain things. Um, there was a group I talked a couple weeks ago about this group called the Judaizers. This is a group of individuals that came in after Paul saw just, you know, wonderful salvation, people getting right with God. There was a group of people that came in and says, now listen, if you want to be perfect, you got you to gotta eat a particular way, you got to dress a particular way, you need to be circumcised, you need to, you need to do the law, you need to do works. And, uh, and Paul, that's what he's saying. I don't mean that I've already achieved these things, but I am pursuing perfection. But it's not like what these guys are talking about. Uh, how many of you are thankful that our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not, we're not a works-based salvation. You understand that? Any, anybody thankful that is like, I don't got to make sure I, I fulfill the law today. It's like I, I gave the illustration of my, my wife. I, uh, 
I don't need to reference my marriage license or review the vows that I made the day that, that her and I uh, made commitments before a congregation, before a pastor, before God. I don't need to go back and check those notes to make sure that I'm still in relationship with her. You understand? I know if I'm fulfilling my covenant with her because I'm in relationship with her. I know if she's pleased with me. I know if she's displeased with me. And, and she knows the same about me. She can tell when I'm, when I'm up and when I'm down because we're walking in relationship. And how many know if I keep my relationship with this woman of God healthy, I'm going to fulfill the covenant that I made to her. I'm not talking about a faith that we can just do whatever we want to, uh, you know, forget about the rules the Bible has laid out, the guidelines, the standard. No, we're going to press on to holiness, the Bible says in Hebrews, or else we will not see God. But I'm telling you, we're not going to live by the law. We're going to live in relationship. And if we live in relationship, we're going to fulfill our covenant with the Lord. So, Paul is pushing back on some issues. He says we're going to press on to perfection. He says I'm going to look forward to what lies ahead, the heavenly prize. Next week I'm going to talk, what is that heavenly prize? It's going to be really neat. But we talked also about how we're not going to live in the past. We're not going to live, people I, I find live in either one or two worlds. We, we live bound by the pain of yesterday. The hurts of yesterday, well, somebody wounded me, somebody sinned against me, somebody offended me. Uh, you don't understand the betrayal I've experienced. And, and many of us will live in light of those wounds. Well, I could never become a member of a church like these guys did because you don't understand what that church over there did. And we live bound by failures and disappointments. But Paul says, I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm pressing on to what's ahead. You understand there's missions and there's assignments that God desires to do in this house and through your lives. And boy, there's some stuff that we just, we got to get over if we're going to move on to what God has. That's why we do encounter nights. I'm not saying we don't need to be healed. I'm not saying that we don't need to grieve or we don't need to address some stuff. We do. And that's why we do Encounter nights. So we're going, we're going to look at those areas. Well, here's the things that slow me down, that drag me down, that I'm wounded, and I'm going to get healed. But the other area is I, I feel like some people live in the glory days of yesterday. Well, the real revivals used to happen. Those were, that was in the 90s. Oh, if you could have just been a part of that. I hear people talk about, oh, the tent revivals. Oh, those healing revivals. Those were real revivals. Everything going on today, I don't even know what all this is. You know, you hear people talk. They live in the glory of yesterday. Oh, if only we could have been around for Azusa Street. That was a real revival. God has a revival for us today. God has something for us right now. But if we live bound by what God used to do, X, Y, and Z, we're never going to press on to what he has for us Ahead. Now listen, we're going to address the pains of yesterday. We're going to get healed. And we're going to look and we're going to learn from what God did yesterday. We're going to rejoice and we're going to give glory to him for what he has done. But we're going to live with our eyes forward knowing, God, you've got something for us right now. So what we are looking at today is, um, is we're dealing with maturity. Everybody say Maturity. This is uh, the next place we've come to, verse 15. It says, let all who are spiritually mature 
agree on these things. Agree on what things? Agree on we're going to press on. We need to agree that we're not going to live by the law. We're not going to live in the past, the failures or the victories. We're going we're gonna to press on to what we have ahead. If we're going to be mature, that's what we need to do. Let us who are mature, let's agree on that. So, so let me ask you, mature men and women of God, saints of the Most High, can we agree that we'll be more effective We'll be closer to Jesus. The best pursuit of perfection, we're going to press on, press on to all that he has for us. Can, can we agree on that? Okay. You're, you're well on your way to becoming mature. That word mature, it's the Greek word teleos. Everybody say teleos. Teleos, uh, there's a, a ministry, a men's ministry called the Teleos Man, and uh, one of my friends uh, worked in that ministry for a number of years, uh, and it's, it's, about, it's about wholeness. It's about perfection. It's about uh, total maturity, and that's what, that's what all of us are to be pursuing. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is I, <laughs> we, uh, we were at a, a conference this last week, there's some very interesting reflections that happened. Uh, um, we were talking about really the reformation that God is bringing to the church world today. And on the first day, I remember a pastor said, you know, this is a, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we have. But the organizer of that conference actually came the second day and he says, I, I actually respectfully disagree. He's like, I believe opportunities like what we have right now to see reformation on a wide scale don't come one in a, once in a lifetime. I believe they come once every hundreds of years. 500 years is the number they use. And because you look at, at what happened 500 years ago, we just, we just celebrated the anniversary of the Reformation of the church. Uh, uh, Martin Luther and his thesis, uh, the breaking away from Catholicism into what we now call Protestantism, the Protestant Reformation. 500 years before that, there was the meeting at Constantinople. Did I say that right? I think I got it. Wow. And uh, uh, I won't try and say it again. Uh, but there was a you know, major deal where they really began to, this is what worship is supposed to look like. And this is the value of the word of God. And, and you can go back through time literally until Pentecost. And every 500 years, we're in that window right now, church. And what's amazing is, is you just think about the possibilities. You and I have the opportunity to say, God, what is the new and unique thing that you're doing today that has never been seen before? This is why I'm not looking to the revivals of yesterday, though I learn from them. And man, those guys, those men and women of God, they're my heroes, man. But I know that what God does tomorrow is not going to look exactly like what happened on Azusa Street or in Wales or Constantinople or with Martin Luther. I know he's doing something new and unique. And guys, we get to be a part of it. So the conference, and this is what was interesting. So it was like day two and moving into day three, we'd had a number of meetings. And, uh, and I think people were, yeah, yeah, we do get to be a part of this. So the, the pastors begin to ask the question, okay, give me the, give me the steps to how we're going to see reformation in the church. And there's a problem. It's not going to be a formula. 
it's not going to be, you know, if we do what Martin Luther did, we're doing the old. God is going to take us through a new process. And what's interesting is, I'm just telling you, I'll receive from these guys in, in Texas, but I understand that what God does in Texas is going to be different than what happens in Kona. I, I, I know uh, that what God is doing in the various nations of the world, I was just a brief conversation with Ricky, and he's like, you know, we do evangelism this way here. But my dad, ministering where he does, uh, it looks very different. And I understand that if we're going to be a people that truly hear God's heart, it's going to look different everywhere we go. And so I'm not trying to learn. But I, I just found it interesting how quickly we default to, well, what's the program? What are, what's the seven-step program? What, what are the ABCs to Reformation, right? And uh, I, I just don't think it works like that. And you'll notice that what Jesus and Paul were constantly combating were, here's the list. Here's the rules. Here's the system that we need to follow. Now, listen, I, I'm not opposed to systems. We need to have organization. You, your body has systems, you know. You know. How many are thankful your body has systems, but I don't walk around wondering, what does my respiratory system want to do today? Maybe if I'm running, I think about what my respiratory system wants to do. But you understand, I don't dictate my life and my decisions on what the systems of my body are doing. I need the systems, but I'm making decisions based on, you know, what is the Lord speaking? What is he doing? Where is he leading me today? And by the same token, I think that's the way our relationship with God is supposed to work. It's not, it's not do the rules, fulfill the ten, you know. No, it's, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? Where are you leading me? Where are you, where are you directing me? And so um, we look in one of the most famous encounters. You can read this on your own. You probably know the story. There was a man named Nicodemus. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the leader of leaders, the teacher of all the land, the Bible calls him. But he began to see the miracles in the ministry of Jesus, and he was deeply stirred. He began to realize, uh, man, I don't have all this figured out. And I, I praise God that even someone who is at the height of the Pharisee movement recognized there's something to this Jesus guy. There's something more that he has that, that I desire. And, and you know that he was, he was beginning to, to, to circulate this idea. Maybe this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so he sits down with Jesus. And guys, I want you to put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes for a minute. Imagine you live your life faithfully committed to God. You don't necessarily, I mean, he didn't have Jesus figured out and all this, but he, he loved God. That's why he was devoted to him. He wanted to serve him and honor him. And he did that by being a devout and strict Pharisee. You know the Pharisees, right? These guys, let me, can I, can I read to you some of the, I, I just get a kick out of some of this stuff. Pharisees, let me just tell you a couple of their laws, just to give you a picture of the life that Nicodemus was, was living. Um, they held to the law of Moses, but they also had a lot of other additions that they made to the law that weren't in the Bible at all. This is why even at times you'll see Jesus say, um, 
you say X, Y, and Z, but I say, and you look, the things that he's addressing aren't even things that are in the Bible. This is very interesting. Let me give you a couple examples. Did you know that the Pharisees believed, this is for, for the ladies in the house, that it was, it, you would be breaking Sabbath for, to look in a mirror on, on, on the Sabbath. Ladies were not allowed to look in the mirror. Here, and here's part of the reason why. If you were to look into a mirror and you notice, I've got a gray hair, I need to pluck that thing out. If you pluck that hair out, that's work. And you're breaking the law. For real. You'd be tempted to pull it out. Uh, a woman, if you decide, oh, Easter's coming up and I want to wear a dress with a bow. Now, listen, you can wear a bow, but the bow needs to be pre-attached to the dress because if you have to tie the bow, that's work and you're breaking the law. This is true. Um, did you know tearing a toilet paper <laughs> That's right. It's breaking Sabbath. Now, again, this isn't in the Bible. These are, these are rules and regulations. This is what man does. We, uh, you know, I want to serve the Lord more. How do I do that? More rules. This is what we tend to do. I'm telling you, this isn't just Pharisees, man. There's modern-day Pharisees. There's modern-day Pharisees. Here's an interesting law. <laughs> a common medical remedy in that day was vinegar. My wife still uses vinegar. Um, if you had a, a cold or a sore throat, now here's, here's the thing. You can drink vinegar, but you could not gargle vinegar. That's work. That's true. You catch somebody gargling on the Sabbath, you have broken Sabbath. Um, this, is, this is crazy, but did you know that um, you can eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath only if you kill the chicken that laid the egg on Sabbath because the chicken broke Sabbath? You have to kill it the next day. You can't kill it the same day because that would be work as well. Um, and then the thing is, you know, Jesus, this is, this is why he came against these guys so hard. It's like, you guys are worried about how you tie your bows. Did you tear toilet paper? Uh, when did this chicken lay this egg? But you're neglecting things like, love your neighbor. Uh, you're neglecting things. I mean, these guys were even saying, you know, oh, we have to tithe on every piece of income, everything. I mean, these guys were ultra-legalistic in this. And Jesus is like, it's good to tithe, but you guys are giving to the Lord, and you are not taking care of your family. And he said, that's wrong. Jesus said, that's wrong. And so I, I look at things like this, and I, it's just like, you understand, this is the life that Nicodemus was leading. He was the leader of this ultra-legalistic group. And he was doing this, I don't think, because they enjoyed rules, you understand. They legitimately thought, if I can do these things, I will be pleasing to God. And then Jesus said something that was so staggering. I want you to think about this. Imagine you're Nicodemus and you've lived your entire life this way. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. In other words, I know we hear that, but this is what he's saying. 
You need to start all over. You don't have anything yet. You need to start from the very beginning. You must be born of the Spirit, and you must be born of water. And Jesus began to dissect exactly what that looked like. Nicodemus, he couldn't even wrap his mind around it. I, I just, I cannot imagine living my life. I don't know how old Nicodemus was at the time. He was probably older if he was a leader of leaders within the Pharisee movement. You just imagine he's maybe 60, I don't know. And you imagine hearing everything you've done is nothing. You need to start all over again. And you need to start with me. Church, this is, this is the place that, that I actually aspire to remain in. Like, Jesus, I know I needed you when I was a drug addict dying in a parking lot. I know I needed you then. But do I still need you that way today? I know I'm walking better now than I was 15 years ago. But am I still desperate in my need for you? I know I obey more. I hit more of the commandments today than I did years ago. But have I remained in the place? Jesus, you're everything. You're still everything to me. I haven't got this all figured out. You guys ever meet people like that? Six months they're saved, and they got it all figured out. I'm going to straighten out the church. I'm going to tell these guys what they don't have figured out yet. This is, this is very important. Now, Paul said how we are going to press on to maturity is, well, he, he gave a couple of things, and I can, uh, let me just give them to you quickly. He said, if we're going to be mature, now you all said you want to be mature, right? Now, the first thing we must know yeah, that was all my introduction, but I'm already halfway through it, so don't worry. Um, we must press on together. Number one, we must press on together. Everybody say together. This is a big deal, man. There's no lone wolves in Christianity, you understand. God, from the very beginning of time, had the church in mind. From the very beginning of time, he intended, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He always intended for people to come together and to fellowship together. And part of the reason is, you understand, I mean, there's moments that I watch people weep at points in worship. And I'm sitting here thinking, why are you moved by that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, like, why does that stir you? I, I'm, I'm inspired sometimes when I watch people. They're going after a particular people group. You know, they're going after the elderly in the nursing homes, or they're going after the homeless, or they're going after orphans. And like, I care about all those. But then you meet someone who really cares about it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they'll, they'll cry with a homeless person on the side of the road. And I'm like, why doesn't my heart break like that? They have a perspective on the love of God that I don't have. And you know what, church? I may never have it. And you may never have it. But when we come together, we get the full counsel of God. Our hearts will begin to move and, and break for all the things that the Lord is concerned about. He doesn't want one person to have a burden for all of it. It would crush us. 
But when we come together, I'm, I'm glad that we have people that care about youth. I'm glad that we have people that care about ethnic ministries. I'm glad that we have people in this place that care about the elderly and who care about our children. I, I'm thankful that we have all of these things because I, I can't do that on my own. I heard a pastor give an illustration and he said that he's got two dogs. He's got an old dog and he's got a young dog. And he said the old dog, they both love to chase squirrels, okay? The problem is the old dog's Sight and smell, all of his senses are declining as he gets older. He says, it's an interesting thing. They'll be sitting in the backyard and the squirrels, you know, they'll pop out of the trees every once in a while. And he says, the old dog now doesn't watch the tree line. The old dog watches the young dog. And when the young dog sees and hears the squirrels, the young dog begins to run. The old dog knows, even though he can't see, the old dog knows, I can run. There's a squirrel, right? And, and his point was this. Sometimes you may not hear God. You may not see God. But as you look at somebody else and you realize God is moving, and you see how the Lord is stirring them, it's like, I, I don't feel what this is, but I see you running, and I'm going to run with you. You understand? This is why, friend, oh, if there's anything that I have learned to value during this whole COVID thing, it's the assembling of the people of God together. This is why get in a life group. This is why don't skip worship. Online family. <laughs> no, you're all on vacation and you're just, you're being extra faithful by tuning in. But you understand, like, we need one another. I need you. And you need me. We need one another. If we're going to press on, if we're going to be mature, we need to press on together. We need to press on together. Now, the second thing, uh, verse 15, our Philippians text says, if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Now, what I enjoy, what I appreciate about this passage here is uh, Paul acknowledges, man, there's going to be disagreements sometimes. And you know what he's talking about. He's, he's addressing this legalism and all of this that's going on in the house of God. And, uh, and he's probably got a lot of people who say, we're with you, Paul. I agree with you. But he's probably got some people on the other side who are saying, no, I, I still think that the law matters. I still think that we ought to do things a, a particular way. And Paul, I love the fact he lays out his case and he says, listen, we're all pressing on to maturity. And if we can do that, God will make it plain. God is going to show us what is right. I... Uh, I take comfort in this because there's, there's moments that it's like, I just wish I could help you see that this is the way. But there's certain things that only life and experience can teach somebody. Um, how many of you have ever had a moment, probably in your early teens, where you just thought, my parents are so stupid. Anybody ever think that? 
My parents don't know what they're talking about. I got this all figured out. What's happening? You are beginning to move into some maturity. You actually are beginning to figure some stuff out, and all of a sudden you just think, I, I know better than my parents. I, I know what's going on here. But how many of you who raised your hand a moment ago have also had a moment? You have some life, you have some experience, and then you begin to realize, my parents actually got some stuff figured out. Huh? Huh? And that's what life does for us, man. We, you know, I, I mentioned a moment ago these, uh, these you know, six-month-old Christians. Boy, they got everything figured out. I love, you probably see this in YWAM a lot, these first-week students. These instructors don't know what they're talking about. I got this figured out. I, I'm going to show them. Oh, yeah. If you disagree on some point, I believe the Lord will make it plain. And we need to trust the Lord to this. Guys, I'm not saying that we, we shut our mouth or that we, we don't be an advocate for truth or what is right. We absolutely need to be that. But there's a moment in time where it's like, you know, God, I need to trust this battle to you. I've done all that I can. You're going to have to show them. And Paul did that in this situation. There's people that says, I don't think that's the best way to press on, Paul. I think we need to do this over here. And Paul's like, God will show you or he'll show me. And we need to be open to that too, right? I love the, the story. I was listening to it this morning. I was playing my audio Bible. And um, it was the story of when Several of the apostles, the Bible doesn't say who it was, in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, uh, they get arrested. And it's another, I think there's three accounts in the New Testament where they are supernaturally delivered from prison. God opens the, the gates and they come out. And I love what these guys do. They were threatened, stop preaching. Uh, God opens the prison cell. And what do they do? They go back straight to the temple. They don't even go home. They go straight back to the temple and conti continue preaching in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the Pharisees and Sadducees were moved with jealousy, and so they had them arrested again. It says, stop preaching. And Peter, I love, he says he and the other apostles say, uh, uh, we're going to listen to God, not you. I love it. And these guys were so enraged. Now, these are religious people. You understand. These are like two people who want to love the Lord, and they disagree on how they should do that. Like, we demonize Pharisees, but boy, I had the thought as I was driving, I'm like, God, what if you begin to do something so unusual in this last day outpouring that even I have a hard time wrapping my brain around it? Am I going to be a Pharisee, or am I going to come into Paul's camp and say, I don't understand it all, but God's going to straighten it out. If it's off, he's going to deal with it, and if it's right, he's going to deal with me. Are you hearing me? I, want my, I don't want to miss what God does in this last day, church. And I know it's going to look different than what church for the last 500 years has looked like. I'm not going to miss it. Gamaliel was another Pharisee. As they're questioning and threatening the apostles, he makes a, an awesome statement. He says, listen, boys, hey, they actually had the apostles step outside for him, and he's like, listen, guys. You remember there was a guy, I think his name was Theodos. You remember this guy, he gathered about 400 disciples, but then he got killed. 
and the disciples scattered, and, and now their movement is nothing. You remember this other guy? Judas was his name, not Jesus Judas. The other, it was another Judas. It's like, you remember this guy, Judas? He also had followers, but then he got killed, and their movement amounted to nothing as well. He's like, listen, these apostles, if it's nothing, we should take our hands off of it, and God will deal with it. But then he says something that's very, very wild. He says, if this is God, there's no stopping it. And then he says, we may even find ourselves not just fighting them, but fighting God. Oh, my. This is why we must be so mindful. God, what are you speaking? What are you doing? Even if I don't, I don't see it, it's another perspective, and I don't understand it quite yet. Lord, show me. If this is you, show me. Teach me. Instruct me. Mighty God, we need to remain teachable. We need to remain teachable. We need to press on together. We need to press on personally. That means we, we keep our heart in a place. Lord, you need to speak to me. You need to teach me. And, and here's the last one. Here's the last one. We learn from others how to press on. We learn from others how to press on. Paul said, verse 17, Philippians chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I've told you before, I say it again. There are many whose conduct shows that they're enemies of the cross. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They bring about shameful things, and they only think about this life on the earth. Wow. How do we avoid that? You know, one of the best ways that you can destroy is my faith self-serving. It's this question, what's in it for me? This is why I get irritated, man, when people don't worship. This is why I don't turn around during worship. Because <laughs> it's not about you. I don't care if you like the song or not. It's not about you. Is it pleasing to the Lord? It's about Him. If all you do, it's like, well, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I don't hear. I don't like that verse of Scripture. You are serving a God. The Bible calls it the God of your belly. It's a self-serving. Well, what's in it for me? Oh, we need to do away with that, friend. You want to know one of the best ways that you're going to deal with that? Is learn to serve somebody else's vision. That's what he said. Follow me as I follow Christ and pattern your life after others who are following. Learn to follow. So this is where, man, I get, I get scared when I, when I see people and they'll float in and they'll real quickly float out of the church. And it's like, you know, well, I'm just doing my thing, but I don't, uh, no, I don't submit to a pastor. I don't submit to a leader. It's like, that's scary, friend. That's scary. If, if I would attribute my maturity personally to anything is I learned early on how to submit to leaders who knew more than I did, who were more anointed than I was. I served their vision. Even when God was opening doors for, for me to be able to preach and to teach and to minister, I remember a conversation sitting in the driveway of my mentor's house. We were getting ready to launch into ministry, and, I, and we, had, we were preaching, and, and I had pastored by that time for about seven years. But I, I told Leah, I said, listen, if this man of God tells us, quit everything you're doing, 
come carry my bag into my meetings and shine my shoes? That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. I learned early on the value of serving another person's vision. Not about making my name, about serving me, what's in it for me, but about serving another. And we can learn so much from it, church. We can learn so much from it. It's part of how Paul says we're going to press on. If we're going to be perfected, if we're going to do this, uh, worship team, would you come? i I, I got to end here. I'll never forget one of the first services. In fact, it may have been the first service at King's Cathedral that I ever attended was, it was a board meeting. We were here on vacation. They used to do their board meetings on Sunday night, this business meeting that we're about to have. And they were going through the numbers and going through all of this. And I remember during that meeting, Dr. Morocco made a statement. I was maybe a year into pastoring at that point in time. And I was of the mentality, like, I did everything. I did everything. My wife and I were reflecting on it. We were the youth pastors in our first church. We were the senior pastors in our first church. I mowed the lawn. I played the guitar. She led worship. I mean, we did everything. We, we did it. I was the chairman of the board. We did everything in that church. Um, and I remember Dr. Morocco making a statement. He was preaching out of Ephesians chapter 4. Yes, during a board meeting he was preaching. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 11, that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And he said, my job as a pastor is not to do the work of the ministry. My job as a pastor is to get you doing the work of the ministry. That's why God gave ministers and pastors is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's why I pray that God raise you up as a laborer for this harvest. That's why we start 39 life groups or whatever we did because I want to get you doing something for Jesus. My job is to get you moving. My job is to equip you. And I remain under that covering still to this day. It changed the way I looked at ministry. I began to realize the reason God raises up leaders is to equip others and release them into what God has for them. So we need to have mentors. We need to have leaders. We need to have people that we follow. Would you stand? As we close, and we're going to pray, I've, I've got an application.